Welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Jason Benham, who's an author, speaker, real estate entrepreneur, and former professional baseball player. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. It's a pleasure having you join us on the show, not actually on the show, but tuning from a distance. I think I think you know what I mean. And if you're a long-time listener, it is great to see you back here again. Thanks for your continued support. It means so much to me and the Guys Like Us community. In today's conversation, I speak with Jason Benham, who's an author, speaker, real estate entrepreneur, and former professional baseball player. We dig into his fourth and latest book, Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. Jason speaks more on the Stand Strong book, Taking Personal Action in Life. He walks us through the process of almost going onto HGTV and having the, that dream and just the allure of that platform uh, being right in, in the palm of his hands, but then uh, deciding to step away and standing strong um, in pro-life and in pro-marriage. He explains an example of being bold and the importance of letting go in this process, leaving it at the altar. An important component to, to zoom in on in this conversation is to understand the importance of being bold, but also of being broken. Uh, because when you are just bold, you become a bully. Finally, we jump into some of his work he did in the Philippines and coining this term called missioneering, which he explains more into in this conversation. I'm excited to speak with Jason and, and, and present this interview conversation for you all. I hope you enjoy and find some value. So I'm going to turn on over to the podcast with Jason Benham. You are fresh off your latest release of your your fourth and newest book, Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. Uh, First off, congratulations. Thanks, brother. It's always good finishing a book. I tell you, I... I, (laughs) I hated writing papers in high school and college, and then once I got uh, into writing books, I kind of figured out how to do it, and now I actually enjoy it. It's really weird. That is weird. I um, I I've always <laughs> I've yeah I've I've always disliked uh, write, writing as well, but um, it's it's a different form of writing, and I feel like it's you're able to bring a lot more emotion, passion, and just kind of your heart into into these books. Um, I oh don't, man, well, I, you know what I've discovered, honestly is that when I go to write a book, if I make that my prayer time, like where I'm actually having a conversation with God and we're going back and thinking about a story in my life or something that happened or a principle I'm trying to teach, and I'm actually like conversing with the Holy Spirit while I'm doing it, it's like I'm actually spending time with the Lord and He's talking to me while I'm writing. It's really cool, man. I I suggest that everybody Mm. uh, writes as a part of their devotional life. Even if you never get published, just that writing aspect Mm. is something that's really healthy for your spiritual growth. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so it just it's, it's been just about a month since it's re, it's launched. Uh, what what kind of reactions are you seeing? What are people liking about this this Man. book and your latest work? 
That's a great question. You know, we, we instantly jumped up to the top of the charts in Amazon, and that was really fun. And, you know, they had to do a big old bulk order to try to get more books in. And so we're, we're thankful for that. You know, my brother and I, we always write these books thinking if nobody ever buys them or reads them except our kids one day or our grandkids one day, that, that's who we're writing to. And, um, and so the thing that I like best about this book is this is a stand strong book. You know, this is stand strong, like stand strong in the culture, stand strong wherever you are. But what we did was we turned, we turned it on its head. You know, so most people think we're just talking about how to stand strong for your faith in the culture and not be scared and to be courageous and all that. But what we did when you open up the book, you realize the type of standing strong we're really talking about is personally, like when you go to a grocery store and, and you recognize that the person behind the, the, the little checkout there that's about to bag your groceries, uh, they, they might need a little encouraging word, and you might need to, the Holy Spirit may have pricked your heart to say, hey, Jesus loves you. you know? Well, right there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get scared. You're going to need boldness in that moment right there. But when you see that person as someone who's disconnected from God and needs a connection to where you can be that bridge, in that very moment right there, very simply, you just, Jesus loves you. You know, as simple as that. And when you do that, you'll end up becoming a bridge. So, yeah, we do talk about standing strong for your faith in the culture, but the book is very personal, and it talks to people on how they can stand strong in that gap uh, on a personal level and something that we can all do. Mm. I, I, I always love hearing the the background story of what the inspiration uh, and kind yeah. of what what uh, allowed you to, to pick up that pen and, and start writing. Was there yeah. a was there a moment or a, an event that catalyzed this this book for you and you and your brother? For sure, my brother and I had gotten to the end of a three book deal with a publisher, and then there's another publisher that came up to us and said, "Man, we love you guys. We love your voice. We want to publish three more books for you." And David and I said, "Okay, you know, if that's what the Lord wants." And we'll move down that that path. And what we've discovered is, you know, when you're ambitious and, and, and you're entrepreneurial, you know how to kick a door open. But what David and I have discovered is to let our ambition stay in the passenger seat and the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat. So we didn't want to go and try to kick open a door to try to get a new book deal or anything like that. We just waited. And then when we were pursued by a publisher, we felt as though that was the Holy Spirit telling us to begin moving in that direction. So that's what we did. We waited. And then the publisher told us they wanted us to write a, a book on standing strong. Mm. And I always felt, you know, I felt like our first three books are amazing about talking to people about standing strong. You know, we got whatever the cost and living among lions. Those two books alone really teach you about how to stand strong. But they said, you know what, we really feel like this is the direction God wants us to go. A book about standing in the gap, like Ezekiel 22, where it says, you know, behold, I look for a man who would stand in the gap, but I found none. And they wanted us to write a book on standing in the gap. And, and so I began to pray through that and, and just was kind of arguing with God, to be honest. Like, God, why, why? Why write another book about standing strong? And then I began to quote the Lord's Prayer, as I do oftentimes in the morning when I'm alone, out under the stars in the dark. Even this morning, I did it, you know, out under the stars. And I like praying under the stars, Tyler, because Jesus prayed under the same stars. He prayed under the same moon. You know, and when I look at the moon when I'm praying, I know that Jesus saw the exact same thing that I'm seeing. And so I was praying, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, pray the Lord's Prayer. So I did, and, you know, I got to that part where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I stopped right there, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, see, there's a gap. There's a gap between heaven and earth. 
Of course, we know that that gap was filled ultimately by Jesus and his death on the cross. But if we're taught to pray by Jesus himself that that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we know that that's more than just a prayer. It's about participation. It's about the continuing closing and bridging of that gap between heaven and earth, between God and the people that he's created, that there's a gap there. And so as I begin to think through that and pray through that, I really felt like God was saying, see, this is a book that I want you to write about standing strong and what you become when you do stand strong, what you become when you do fill that gap. When you fill that gap, you become a bridge that connects heaven to earth. When you stand strong, you become a bridge that connects God to the people who are disconnected from him. That's why we wrote the book. And uh, I want to get into more about the book, but I want to make sure you get through your questions. But that's the whole onus of mm. how this whole book came together. Mm. Mm. That's great. Um, and I, I know for you, just kind of speaking into this gap and into this into this potential, you know, to, to really to really live in and to fulfill. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen um, maybe through this process, or even seeing maybe in looking back at past experiences of, hey, here's a gap maybe in my life where I. Uh, I was challenged. I was I was in a moment of fear, and I said, "You know what? This is this is where this is the direction that I, I need to be going in right now." And, th- and and look at what has happened when I decided to make that step. Oh make my that leap. goodness, man! Yes, and you know we wrote about our entire HGTV story in our first book, whatever the cost. About you know how we were fired for standing up for what we believe in. And specifically in terms of being pro-life and pro-marriage as the Bible defines life and as the Bible defines marriage. And uh, we talked through that book and then I went into some more detail in our newest book, Bold and Broken, about what went on behind the scenes and how when HGTV called and said, hey, there's an activist group that hates you guys and doesn't want you on our network and all of these things. I remember thinking, well, maybe we can kind of tailor our message a little bit. Maybe we can take some take some, you know, of our statements that are online, take them down or whatever. And I remember that fear that came over me like a man pleasing spirit. Fortunately, and with the help of some accountability partners that we've got, we, we were able to make it through that. It was tough, but we made it through that and we were able to stand strong, but it wasn't without having plenty of fear. And what we discovered was that boldness precedes the miraculous. God was doing some miraculous things. He's tearing down strongholds in our culture he used my brother and I to be voices kind of in that little movement. And, um, but there was, there was a lot of fear that went on there. And uh, essentially, that's why we went ahead and followed up with this fourth book, Bold and Broken, because we learned a lot through that process from the time that we released our first book until now that we share in this book. Mm-hmm. And um, especially for HDTV, and it can seem like that might be a dream or, you know, seeing, seeing something, uh, you know, just so cool and so uh, that, that seems so nice on the surface. Um, yeah. and, and kind of having to maybe put those dreams to the side or, um, or re- really reevaluate, reevaluating yeah. what this dream looks like for you. Oh, um, have you, was that something that was coming through your mind and, uh, what would, you know, the allure of being on TV and, and having this, yeah. this show and kind of talk about that tension and how you were yeah. able to, uh, to work through that? discovered is is that you will not stand strong until you first let go of that thing that you're holding on to and so david and i wanted that platform really bad we were going to tell people about the lord you know if god made us uber famous then we were going to use that platform to proclaim the gospel but not just jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life gospel but the gospel that actually says that god's blessings come inside god's boundaries 
And if you really love people, then you talk about those boundaries, like marriage is between a man and a woman, right? Or and, and that's not my idea. That's God's idea. And God wants you to be blessed. So two men don't get married together and uh, two women don't. And, and life begins at conception. So that type of gospel, you know, it's very easy to say Jesus loves you, has a great plan for your life, and you never get in trouble with the culture at all, right? But the minute you start talking about God's boundaries, now all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. And so we've got spiritual leaders that are being quiet about that because they're in love with their platform. Not every one of them, but a lot of them, because I know what that feels like. I wanted that platform so bad for HGTV. And uh, we're really tempted to kind of back off and be quiet so I could keep that platform. And yet we didn't, and we mm. did stand strong. And it was difficult because I learned that we had to die to our dream of having that platform before we ever stood boldly. Mm-hmm. That we need to learn as entrepreneurs and authors and speakers and pastors and, and whatever it is that God has given to us, that our platforms aren't just meant for us to st- stand on and proclaim. Our platforms are meant to become altars in which we lay our lives down and burn. That's a whole different ballgame, and we'll never do that until we're first willing to let it go. That's where God led us and uh, has taught us, and, it, and it's something that all Christians need to learn, and it's something that I still have to teach, you know, learn, go through mm. you know, even mm. now. It's like whatever it is that you're holding on to and that you really want and that maybe God has even put into your hand, let it go. Let it go, which means die to it in your heart. You can still stand on that platform and proclaim, but die to die to your congregation, die to your big book deal, die to your reputation, die to all that stuff, and just stand strong for God with with you know standing for His truth and a spirit of love. And when you do that, some people are going to hate you, and you may lose your platform, but you ultimately are not going to be enslaved to that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and just speaking on this process too, you mentioned um, it was a, it was a tough t- period for you, and you know you you had some accountability working through. Um, and when I think about, you know, you've, you've written now, this is your fourth book with your brother, um, and something like a book where it's so, you're working so close together, um, and being, being, being able to be so consistent, um, but also, you know, encouraging, helping, supporting each other during this, during this time to, to see it through and to keep that mission strong. How, um, you know, has, was there moments of, maybe during this book, maybe across the past few books, um, where that was really challenged or you had to, uh, think of how, how, how can I pray through this? How, how can I get through this? Well, you know, iron sharpens iron. Marshmallows don't sharpen marshmallows. And and when you are actually sharpening iron, there's going to be sparks. Otherwise it's not getting sharp, you know? And so the goal is to always make sure that you're keeping the vision out front, keeping your goal out front, making sure that you're seeing the finish line out front, you know, and, Mm. and knowing that, when you're doing a book or any type of project with somebody very close, you know, my wife and I do a lot of marriage counseling and we mm. have to remind the people that, that and the remind couples that Satan wants nothing more than for you to fight against each other. But God has designed you to fight alongside one another. And you have to make sure that you're keeping the main thing, the main thing that you recognize that there's an enemy out there who's making accusations for your agreement. And if you agree with his accusations about that person that God has put into your life, what's going to happen is you're sapping the Holy Spirit out of that relationship. And the very people who were made to be together and to work together actually end up destroying each other. It's like, I I mean, I have a car. You probably have a car. And you put oil in the car because the parts of the engine were made to work together, but they only work together so long as there's 
there's oil in the engine. But if you pull the oil out of the engine, the parts that were made together are, are the actual things that destroy each other. You know, the pistons down in the chamber, and it's going in and out constantly with oil. But you pull the oil out, now that piston is going to destroy that chamber, and, and the chamber is going to destroy the piston. But they were made to work together. So the whole idea is to just make sure that you're always seeing things properly. You're seeing that person properly. You're seeing the process properly, and you're not becoming transactional. You're recognizing that God is a relational God and that what he's more concerned with is the relationship than the end product because the relationship is the end product. So that's how you kind of can get through that stuff, and, and then that's how you're able to actually maintain you know, a spirit of prayer and mm. And that type of stuff when you're going through somebody and yet you deal, do get in some arguments or whatever. And basically mm -hmm. David just does whatever I tell him to do. <laughs> That's always good. That's always good. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't want to discuss too, too much into the book. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that uh, folks listening will have the chance to pick up a copy yeah. themselves. Is there any final words just on the book that you'd uh, yeah. that have been? Um... Well, you know, it's a weird title, Bold and Broken. And, and I think it's important that the, that the readers know before they pick up the book that this is a book about standing strong and standing boldly in a way that you can do it on a personal level every single day. Whether you're known by the president or whether you have no idea who our president is, this book it can apply to you. But here's the key, is that boldness apart from brokenness makes you a bully. We wanted to make sure that we wrote this book so that you see there are ditches on both sides of this standing bold you know, thing. Boldness apart from brokenness makes you a bully. But on the other side, there's a ditch where brokenness apart from boldness makes you a bystander. And this is where a lot of the Christians today, Tyler, find themselves is they're bystanders. They're, they're broken over their own sins. You know, and when we talk about broken, we're talking about submitted, submitted to God, like a broken horse. You know, our dad always said that the horses broken by the master are fit to pull the king's chariot. The rest are fit to pasture. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be someone that God can use, you have to first start with that spirit of brokenness, which is submitted to God. It's humble. It's recognizing that you're a sinner and you're no better than the worst sinner. You're no better in possibility as the worst sinner and the worst criminal is in actuality. You're no, no worse and no better. And, uh, and so that's the spirit of brokenness. What, what we say in this book is that your boldness is meant to be fueled by your brokenness. And then you become the bridge. So you're not a bully on one side, which is operating out of a spirit of anger. You're not a bystander on the other side, which is operating out of a spirit of fear. You are a bridge that operates out of a spirit of courage and boldness. And when you do that, you do become that bridge. And people will find themselves connected to God because of your faithful witness. Fantastic. Um, one to transition to a bit, uh, I believe it was in 2014, um, I, I know that fitness has always been a big part of your life, um, yeah, and I want to hear more how you're uh, really able to, to to turn problems in, into solutions with missionaries—a concept that 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 you all had termed with the recession. But then, how you're able to incorporate, um, you know, keep keep missionaries in in uh, keep it going, yeah. uh, and and also incorporate fitness in, in the process. Uh, I believe it was over in the Philippines. Is that correct? Yeah, man. Well, you know, we learned at a young age that the, the people who are truly producers and not consumers, when they don't see problems, they see opportunities. They don't see problems, they see potential. And so that and that's the key to being a good entrepreneur is to find a problem, see the potential in it and make something happen. You know, like like be able to meet a need, whatever that need is. 
And if there's somebody that has a need, then that means that there's a problem. And so that's the key to actually making money. You lead with value and then value, which is monetary value. Monetary mm -hmm. value will follow you. It will chase you. It will run after you. You don't have to ever focus on money. You just focus on value. So David and I had built our businesses. We were at the top of our, our real estate career in 2010. And we heard a stat that 700 or 600 missionary families a month were coming home off of the mission field because America had hit this big recession and Western funding had dried up. So we said, well, we want to do something about that. What we think that we need to do after we prayed through it was we felt like we needed to start a business over there in the Philippines where we had some friends. And so we had a couple buddies of ours that were missionaries over there, and we put them, uh, actually one buddy, we put him over our company over there, and we started a business process outsourcing company that basically was uh, a bunch of uh, Filipino people that were able to help us on our real estate side where they were doing all sorts of things. Anything that you can do with a phone or a computer, we were able to do over there and give these people jobs. And then we had our missionary buddy that we had him as our kind of our corporate chaplain, our business development guy, head of human resources. And we built that for a good year and a half. And we then brought in another company to handle operations for us. And we sent over another missionary family. And um, in the process of doing that, what we discovered was we had hundreds of employees at this point. And mm -hmm. man, I'm telling you what, you have no better influence over somebody than when you're signing their paycheck. And so we we had we had uh, church services going on in the building on Sundays. We we had um, feeding programs going on. We had uh, started a sports league over there. We had uh, daily corporate chat. Our corporate chaplain was going and ministering to the people daily. Uh, we had so many people that were getting saved and getting set free from addictions and sexual promiscuity and all sorts of stuff right there inside of our office, and they were all getting paid. And we're like, man, this is awesome. And we called it missioneering because we, we, we talked about it from a standpoint of it being a pioneering concept. Mm -hmm. And we were engineering something that was brand new, but we were doing it with a mission's heart to see, the, to see that region changed. And from there, we actually took some of the money out and we started a CrossFit gym which expanded into two, which expanded into three, and we've since sold two of them. And uh, we, it, was, it was amazing because then with the CrossFit gym, within six months, we had 250 members in that CrossFit gym, and a lot of the uh, senior-level governmental officials over there were joining our CrossFit gym because it was kind of a cool thing. You know, it was run by some Americans. And, and, so, and our missionary families were running the businesses, and they were getting invited to all of these Christmas parties and getting put on the news and getting put on the front of the magazines and newspapers mm. and all sorts of stuff. And um, the influence that our folks had over there, they said, I remember getting a call from one of our missionaries who was working in our business over there. And he said, man, I have had more ministry in the last six months than I've had in the seven years combined before we started this business over here. And, um, what David and I learned from that, and we've still got that company going right mm. now. It's got over a thousand employees there. I don't run the operation anymore. It's just, it, it outgrew me, but we had it going and it's still doing amazing things over there. What we learned from that is, man, just be faithful wherever you are. You know, what defines the minister is not where you're placed or how you're paid. What defines the minister is the passion that you've got and the presence of God in your life. And whether you're paid or not, it doesn't matter. And so we do good business over there. We minister to people. We got a lot of good things going in that location.
Mm, that's fantastic. And I, I always find that model incredibly cool how you're able to, you know, if, if, if someone, you know, uh, uh, doesn't have uh, food on their table, you're, you're not going to be able to minister the gospel to them, yeah. right? But if you're able to provide employment and provi- uh, provide for essential needs that are for their, you know, for their human flourishing, yeah. then you can then uh, speak, speak a bit more about the gospel. And there's no better place to disciple people than in the workplace because you've got them for 40 hours a week. That's where discipleship takes place, and mm. that's where Jesus was until he was 30. You know, he was a vocational minister up until he was a 30, and then he jumped. He, he was, you know, he was just as much a minister at 31 as he was at 21. Mm. At 21, he was putting together maybe, I don't know, tables and chairs, or maybe he was doing some brick mason type stuff. You know, at 31, he was actually doing miracles and, and, and preaching sermons, but he was still a minister at 21 just like he was at 31. Awesome. Um just to uh, to wrap up, I just want to know just a piece of advice for uh, that you'd have for people um, that are listening uh, as they pick up the book, just as they as they go out, just maybe a, fi- a final word of encouragement or advice. Okay, so our culture is a little crazy right now, and my second book was about Daniel, and this is always a good piece of advice for people because we need to recognize is that when God wants to touch the material universe, He does it through the portal of man. So He uses people to do the things here on earth that he wants to accomplish. And if he does it any other way, it's called a miracle. So knowing that God wants to use you to touch people's lives and to do awesome things in the world, we need to be like the chocolate chips and the cookie dough of culture. We mix in, we don't blend in. We, excuse me, we keep our dis- distinct form even when put in an oven. And that's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You know, when those three boys got thrown into the fiery furnace, they stood strong for the Lord, and the Lord saved them out of it. When Daniel stood strong for the Lord, he got thrown into a lion's den, and yet God saved him out of it. Look, God will deliver you through those things. Look, it may cost you your life, just like we see people all the time dying overseas from intense persecution. And yet, eternally, they're living forever. I mean, with crazy, awesome rewards. And what God wants us to do right now in our cultural context is be like those chocolate chips. Look, we got to mix in. We got to mix in with the crowd. Don't don't try to just stand outside. You know, you take a bunch of chocolate chips, you put them in a bowl, and then put them in the oven. They're all going to melt together. But you take chocolate chips, you put them in a batch of cookie dough, you put them in the oven. They're going to keep keep their distinct form because the chocolate chips were meant to be mixed. And so we mix in with the world, but we keep our distinct form because we're made of something different. We have a different substance about us than, uh, than those who don't know the Lord. And when you do that, I'm telling you, God, God will do something awesome. And you know what? When you take a bite of a chocolate chip cookie, that chocolate chip makes that batch really good. Absolutely. And then just where, where can people find you, uh, find David, find the book, just uh, tune into yeah. to what you're doing? Yeah, well, you can buy the book or any of our books anywhere books are sold, especially on Amazon. Or you can go to our uh, website, BenhamBrothers.com, B-E-N-H-A-M. And uh, we've got autographed books on there and all sorts of uh, cool videos and blogs and podcasts and all sorts of fun stuff, man. Awesome. Uh, Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on today, hearing about um, Bold and Broken Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth, a bit more into uh, some of your some of your work over in the Philippines and uh, just your journey along the way. So thank you. Thank you, brother.